glad to be with you today electronically. And I'm just so looking forward to the day when we're going to be able to gather back together in person here at Pebble Creek. In fact, we're hoping for the first Sunday in May, but we'll let you know if we can make it that soon or the second Sunday perhaps or third, but soon we will be together. Now, I've talked to a few folks who like social distancing. We've got a few folks uh, that we know that uh, are so introverted that they just love being away from other people. But most of us like to be around other folk. And we can't wait till we can be back together again. Well, today I want to begin with a, a silly story uh, because, you know, I have probably mentioned before that I know pastors exaggerate probably as much or worse than just about anyone else, even lawyers, really. And preachers are known for their exaggeration. In fact, uh, when you give a statistic, hear a statistic from a, a preacher, you ought always to say, mm-hmm, sure, because it's often highly exaggerated. And we try not to do that here at Pebble Creek. But uh, let me tell you, preachers and lawyers are not the only ones to exaggerate. I read an article recently from a, a very funny lady who talked about momisms. And she talked about the fact that her mother had a knack for exaggerating things in a very funny way. And she would tell her and her sister these things that they need to watch out for. She called them mom-isms. And I like that. For example, don't go out with your, outside with your hair wet because you'll catch, what? Pneumonia. And then... Her mother also said, stay off the phone during thunderstorms or a streak of lightning will speed through miles of cable and zap you dead in the center hallway. Well, she goes on to say that momisms have absolutely no historical precedent nor scientific backing except maybe the one about the phone. <laughs> but she said early in childhood it became excruciatingly clear to uh, the four children in her family that her mama, their mother, knew a lot of very unfortunate guys. Uh, these hapless people that always got into these situations. For example, uh, we were told not to tip back on the hind legs of our chair because one man did that and broke his neck and was paralyzed for the rest of his very short life. And if we tossed a kernel of popcorn up in the air and tried to catch it in our mouths, Mama told us about the guy that did that and choked to death right on the spot. And he said, she said, when my sisters and I would go into a grocery store, she, I can't believe they would do that these days, of course, but put their tongue on the freezer door, we would laugh ourselves silly until our mother told us of a ghastly story of a guy who got his tongue stuck and the fireman had to come and remove part of his tongue and forevermore he began every word with th you can work on figuring that out but anyway and she also went on to say in adolescence came the dating momisms designed to keep us forever in the house sorting socks on saturday nights she said i once thought uh, that if i had children my own mama would finally give up but she said momisms go on forever because you know why because momisms come from mama and mama's always a mama well that was a funny article and i thought about it in my own life how many times my mother said things like don't swallow your chewing gum because it'll stay inside your stomach or your intestines for 15 years 
don't think that was quite accurate. And then how many times were we told never to cross our eyes because they might, what? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It might get stuck that way. And then I was told over and over not to crack my knuckles because I might bring on rheumatism. Well, that actually did happen. But momisms come in many shapes, sizes, and forms, and all of us have momisms we can tell about. So moms are not the only ones, however, to exaggerate. Yes, preachers, other people exaggerate. But as we come to our text for this morning, we're going to see in John chapter 12 yet another great exaggeration. In fact, I find it to be fascinating. And it's an exaggeration that I wish would have come true. And maybe in a way it will. We'll talk about that. But look with me, please, to John chapter 12 as we see uh, a very different scene than that with which we studied last week. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, the middle section of John chapter 12, going through verse 19. And there the Bible says, The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, talking about the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a messianic psalm, by the way. The king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was gathered, when they remembered that these things had been written about him and that he, they had done these things to him, meanwhile the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him up from the dead, continued to testify. This is why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign or miracle. Then verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, look, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Well, when we closed this chapter last week, we closed with a quiet evening in Bethany as Jesus, needing a time with his friends, gathered with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We remember, don't we, that Mary anointed Jesus with that very expensive ointment, really preparing him for his burial, which was to come soon. Indeed, it was a beautiful time of his uh, evening with his friends. He needed that time. And now the whole scene switches to this very noisy public parade. It's the Passover time. It was an amazing time when people gathered from all over, really the known world, to gather to celebrate what God had done in the Old Testament Passover. By the way, my friends, uh, this particular occurrence that we've just read is recorded in all four of the Gospels, one of the few things recorded in all four. Also, let me just tell you this, it was the only time Jesus allowed a public demonstration with him as the center. Uh, 
really the only one that he allowed where he had anything to do with it. But we see him fulfill Old Testament prophecy. We'll come back to that in just a moment. There are several questions that I want us to ask this morning and several things I want to point out to you. First, let me say that there were three different groups of people in the crowd that day. First of all, let me just point out to you that there were the Passover visitors. As I've said, people gathered from all over so they could celebrate Passover. People that would not get to come to Jerusalem uh, hardly ever would make their way in pilgrimage there for this great occasion. Second were the local people who lived there or close there. And they were the ones that already knew about what Jesus had done with Lazarus. Third group that we see in this particular text are the religious leaders whom we have seen before, whom we have seen uh, try to get at Jesus even before. So there are three different groups here. During this feast and any feast, they were wondering if this might be a time when Jesus would be there. And so they were looking for him. And they wondered if he was going to try to incite some kind of riot or uh, coup d'etat in which to take over the government from the Romans. So ask several questions with me today. Look with me. First of all, what did this event mean to Jesus? What did it mean to him? Well, first of all, remember what I've told you before, that Jesus lived on a divine timetable. And what we see happening here is a part of his obedience to God's perfect and precious will. I've already told you that messianic prophecies were fulfilled here. And we see Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. In fact, it's mentioned there in verse 15. We see there Jesus fulfilling this messianic prophecy where Jesus was told, it was said that the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. So we see that being fulfilled right there. Certainly Jesus was openly announcing to the people that he was a king. Perhaps not the kind of king they wanted nor anticipated, but they were told by him clearly that he was a king, coming as a king. My, maybe they were hoping that he would come to defeat the Romans, but he was coming to take hearts and lives for his kingdom. So that's what it meant to Christ. It meant divine fulfillment. It meant to be obedient to the will of the Father. Second, let's ask the question, what did this demonstration mean to the Romans? Well, nothing is publicly recorded here, but we know that the Romans kept a close watch on all festival or feast days because it was not unusual during a festival day for some uh, zealot or some person who had some political agenda to break loose and to establish some kind of public demonstration or acts or act of violence. This happened often. So we know the Romans would have watched very carefully. We also know the Roman soldiers uh, must have smiled at this triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus. Now we've just gone through the Easter season and the Sunday prior to the Easter season we call Palm Sunday because of what happened in this particular instance. I guarantee you the Roman soldiers stood back and laughed at this scene before them. Why? 
Well, because when a Roman king or general or anyone of importance would come into a town for the first time, there would be quite a processional, a really an ostentatious processional. For example, often when a Roman uh, legion, a general like uh, we've heard about in many places, Julius Caesar, Augustus, many of them would come back from a campaign. They would have maybe as many as 5,000 troops with them, four or five full legions of 1,000 each. And they would come marching into the city with great pomp and circumstance. Someone said it's much like what used to be done in New York City with the ticker tape parades. And perhaps they are still done, they are still done even to this day in some form or fashion. But it was quite a scene for a Roman general or king to come into a city. They would bring trophies of their conquest, perhaps gold or other precious things they had gotten from the conquest. They would also bring captives with them. And the Romans loved to bring them in and then parade them in front of the people, take them straight to a coliseum where they would uh, put them into gladiatorial conquest, often with wild beasts. And they would be torn to shreds, of course, with the roaring uh, crowd rooting them on. What a sad thing it was. But the Roman soldiers had seen this time and time again. They had seen this ostentatiousness of these Roman kings and generals. And now here comes Jesus. <laughs> this homeless Galilean. This man who was wearing, no doubt, homespun clothes. He comes in Jerusalem to great fanfare, meaning the people laid down palm fronds and they shouted, but he's riding on a donkey. What a contrast this was for the Romans. Compared to what they had seen before, Jesus' entrance, this Palm Sunday triumphal entrance, was nothing to them. Third, let's ask, what did this mean to the people of Israel. What did this triumphal entry mean to the people of Israel? Well, the people, the basic uh, people in the pew, they welcomed Jesus with great enthusiasm. They put their garments out before him so that the, the donkey would walk smoothly. They laid down palm fronds in front of the donkey. And so it was a great time. In fact, that's celebrated even to this day in that same way. They began to shout as is recorded in the scripture in, out of Psalm 118, recorded there in the latter part of verse 13. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The King of Israel. So they're shouting this messianic prophecy as Jesus enters into the city. But you know what the Gospel of Luke tells us Jesus was doing when he rode in? Luke tells us that Jesus was weeping. He was weeping. Instead of a big grin of acclamation that, oh, aren't people loving me? He was weeping. And many people ask, why was he weeping? Well, Jerusalem by the way, is called the city of Salem, Salim, peace, from which we, the Hebrew word shalom comes, of course. 
It's the city of peace, and he knew the city would not be at peace much longer. He knew what it took for people to be at peace in their hearts. He'd already told them. He knew what was going to happen, and so he's weeping because he sees that the people of Israel have wasted opportunity after opportunity. He's weeping because he knows what is going to happen. Well, my friends, we have to ask ourselves the question this morning. Have we not also wasted opportunities? Have we not also been like the people of Israel, stiff-necked, and not listened to the word of the Lord? I think about this time of pandemic, and I so have hoped and prayed along with you that people would open their eyes to the Lord, hoping and praying that when we do open back up the church house, that it will be filled with people from the congregation and the community, gathering together, seeking the Lord, praying, just saying, oh God, please speak to us. But we've missed so many opportunities. One of our staff sent me an article encouraging churches to open their doors for prayer. Uh, the first Sunday that we're back open for in-church in house uh, worship services. And I think that's a great idea. We'll do that. But how many people do you think will come? Do you think we'll be filled up with people from the community like we were right after 9-11 occurred? I remember when 9-11 occurred, I was, uh, everybody remembers where you were when that happened, don't you? I had just come to Taylor's First Baptist Church. I was pastoring there, and my staff and I were going up to Hendersonville for a day-long staff retreat. And we started hearing about it on the news. And we got into our little place, a little cabin where we were going to meet, and turned on the TV. It had a little antenna thing. It was very fuzzy, but we could see planes hitting the twin towers and so I immediately said let's get back in the church van and head back down and I called the church and told the people open the church up for prayer and put out the word we'll be open for prayer and all people came from everywhere just to pray and I just wonder what it will be like when this pandemic is over will people go to the Lord in prayer Will we miss opportunities just like Jerusalem, just like the Hebrews did? Well, we have before, haven't we? We've missed those opportunities before, and we need to be on our face before the Lord saying, Oh, God, please do a work among us. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a colt, a donkey colt. This king, so different than any other king they'd ever seen before, comes in to take hearts. Well, let me tell you, friends, he'll come into that city one more time. And the Bible tells us that the next time Israel sees the king, the scene will be radically different because he will not come riding on a donkey. He will come in glory. He will not come in humility but the armies of heaven will accompany him to do battle. My friends, it will be different the next time. But that's what it meant to our Lord Jesus. And that's what it meant to Israel. Quickly, I want you to see one last thing. I want us to see how did the Jewish leaders respond to this triumphal entry uh, of the Lord. Uh, you see, the Pharisees were quite sure that Jesus had won the day. I mean, they are just at a point of total despair. Look at verse 19. 
It says, the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing, they say really to one another. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They're anticipating some kind of general revolt. They're anticipating for Jesus to rise up and say, I am the king of Israel, and let's take up arms against the Roman oppressors. What they did not realize is that Jesus was really forcing their hand so that the Sanhedrin would act during the feast. Why? Listen carefully to me. Look at me. Are you listening? Because the Lamb of God had to give his life when the sacrificial lambs, Passover lambs, were being slain. It was incumbent that his sacrifice occur when the other sacrifices would occur. Because he was the great sacrifice. And so all this was in God's timing. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin didn't even realize they were a part of God's great plan. Well, he wanted to capture the hearts and minds of the people as their sacrifice. They didn't understand. But they make their grand prediction and say, well, the whole world has gone after him. Well, yes, it was a grand exaggeration, a great exaggeration. But I wish that it would have become a prophecy. I wish the whole world would follow after our Lord Jesus. I wish that after 9-11 and after the coronavirus pandemic, everybody would go after him. That's what I wish. And maybe in one way, it will happen someday. Does not the Bible say in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father? Someday everybody will recognize Christ. But don't we wish that people would go after him in submission and in salvation rather than in judgment? Oh, my friends, we see a fascinating set of contrasts here in this text. We see the Lord God Almighty in the form of His Son Jesus riding into town on the back of a donkey. Some recognize who He is, others do not. Some fear who He is, others are drawn to Him. I ask you as we close today, who is He to you? Who is he to you? It's your choice. Which hero will you follow? As for me, I'm going to follow the man on the donkey. How about you? Would you give him your life today? Would you give him all of your life today? I'm going to follow the man on the donkey. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your precious word. Thank you for speaking us today. God, I pray right now that every man, woman, boy, and girl listening would say yes to you. To follow the Lord Jesus in salvation, submission. That today would be the day of salvation. God, may there be a triumphal entry into the hearts of everyone listening. Fill us up with your spirit, O oh Lord. Fill us up with your Son. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.